0: All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the ears? What the fucksicles? How are you? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome to the show. Very excited today. Uh, Michael Imperioli, Christopher, is on the show. I, I don't know if he likes that, uh, but, <laughs> but that's what he's known for. God damn it, I miss the Sopranos. Do you ever sit down and just think to yourself, fuck, I miss the Sopranos? Like, back... What can you say back in the day? I don't know if it was back in the day, but when they were on, it was really the first kind of show of its kind where you just looked forward to it. It was like a craving. You're like Sunday nights, you'd lock in and just what, what's going to happen? I had no idea that was coming. That type of television, that sort of, I don't know if it's long form or serialized. I mean, that's there's nothing new about that, but just the fact that like Breaking Bad that way too, that you enter every episode not knowing what the fuck is going to happen. And also the great characters, and, and Michael Imperioli, uh, played, he played a great character on that, and he was great in Goodfellas, and he's great in his movie, he's great, he's a, he's a great guy, and I was thrilled to talk to him, because he's one of those guys, the character was so defined on The Sopranos, where you think, I'm going to talk to that guy, and he's not that guy, uh, but it was great talking to him, it made me miss New York, you know, and I was just there. I didn't mention some stuff about uh, about New York you know I um as I go back you know, I finally got some good weather I think I told you that and uh, and I went down I lived there a long time and on a nice day in New York City there's really nothing that compares to it there's nothing like New York there's no comparing any other city or place or or feeling uh to New York because it is it is of itself and it is m- m- amazing, huge, spectacular, moving, the best city. And I was talking to some guy, cab driver of all people, because that's what you do in New York, right? But we were just talking about it uh, about how nothing feels like New York. You get in it, and when you're in it, you you you're filled with the energy of it. And if you know how to be there, it's 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 there's nothing more exciting just a walk in new york city on a beautiful day and i there was a couple of moments there you know i was walking and i was in between things i was there to, to meet with people for a thing about a thing and i had like 2 hours and i was just it, it was almost like fall weather and and obviously i i went to joe's and i had the slice and uh, or two maybe three but don't you know what i mean i can i was on on a trip and uh I was wandering around and I literally had nothing to do. I was like, why don't I have anything to do? I'm in New York. Isn't there somebody I need to see? Isn't there place I need to go? And I was like, no, man, you're just in New York. You're just here. So I went to a place that's near and dear to my heart. I went to, uh, the, to the secret meeting place at Perry Street and uh, went back in time to the early days of the the crazy clean time historical place if you know what I'm talking about some of you do if you don't if you're in the uh, if you're in the secret society be sure to go to Perry Street when you're in New York City it's a classic it's an institution it's old-timey man but uh, I was with my uh, my producer Brendan McDonald my business partner in this endeavor WTF and uh, you know we were downtown and we were at a meeting we went to a, a meeting about a thing and we were right there uh, at the World Trade Center, at the site and at the new building, I would not seen the new building and I would not seen the memorial and I was there that day. I was in Queens on my roof, uh, feeling uh, obliterated and and in shock and I don't think I'd been down to that site, certainly not since it had been under construction And and, and maybe, you know, I, I I had gone down there weeks after the horror, where it was just a, a, a smoking pile of, of steel, mangled steel, that you couldn't really get close to, but you could see down the street. And I remember there was a lot of talk about what the memorial would be, what the new building would be, and, and uh, everybody was ch- you know chiming in about this or that. So I had been really out of the loop, because I had left New York but I felt compelled and I felt like I needed to go see the memorial I had no idea what it was going to be like what effect it would have how it could be effective and it's um it was amazing it's it's an amazing memorial they it's literally the the bottoms of the original towers there's two of these Pieces to this memorial, and and it's just a a, a giant square. It's a hole, and it, and it's a waterfall on all four sides, and then there's a pool at the bottom, and then another square hole that you just it's just darkness that you can't see the bottom of, and the water goes into it. All around the top are the names of the victims, and there are two of these, and they're massive, and they're quiet, and they're subtle, and they're profound, and they're moving. I didn't know how I would feel when I went down there, but to stand there. And to to have the reflection, and to have you know, to honor the dead, and 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 honor the 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 memory of what happened there, and the ongoing sort of um, heartache of that. You don't you don't really realize it that, you know, that you have this heartache, this grief, until you check in. You check in with it. There was something that was felt obviously around the world, but certainly if you lived in New York. It was a, a, a profound injury. And uh, as I stood there, I, I was like, you know, this, they did this right, man. You know, I, I am moved. I'm, I am thinking back. Uh, I am elevated. And it's, uh, it was beautifully done. And it's something you should really see if you're in New York. This, no matter what you think about what happened, it happened. And, and people were killed that day. And it was uh, horrible. But to really pay respect was no easy trick. And I don't even know who designed this thing. But to use the space of the, of the, uh, of the towers that were once there and, and why they're gone and what that represents and to integrate into that space a sense of, of living grief and respect for, for everyone who was lost there was no easy trick no easy task and it's a beautiful beautiful uh piece of uh living memorial art and the new tower is nice gotta be honest i didn't go up in it but uh it's nice it's hard to be there but i'm glad i did it d- it definitely had the effect of of of, of bringing back something painful of, of integrating the grief and of, of elevating the loss and, 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 and sending it off. And getting, it was a little bit of closure there. It was, uh, it was profound. I had no idea. I didn't know what to expect. You don't know how something like that's going to hit you. But obviously, you know, there were those of us who were there and it was, yeah, well, everyone knows. It was, I'm not saying anything new. It was a tough day. But the memorial is spectacular, and I appreciate it. Also, a funny thing happened in uh, NYC. I thought it was a classic thing. I, I was in a coffee shop uh, having a coffee with Brendan, and I was walking out, and I knew some guy was looking at me, like, he give me that look, that look where it's sort of like, yeah, I know who you are, and I, and I like you, but I'm trying to be cool. Happens. I've had that look for others. I'm familiar with the look from within and without. And I'm walking out, and he looks at me, and goes and I look at him, and, he, and I'm like, hey, what's up, buddy? He goes, hey, hey, Mark. Hey, Mark, uh, yeah, big fan. I'm a big fan. And he, his brain got a little jangled there in the moment. And uh, I was saying, well, well, thank you. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, nice meeting you. I asked him his name. I don't remember it now. I'm sorry. He told me his name, and I'm walking out. And he goes, hey, hey, keep up the good luck. I mean, work. Keep up the good gu- Oh, boy, I screwed it up. But keep up the good luck. That was a beautiful mistake. It was one of the greatest things I ever heard. I'm walking out, I'm like, dude, that's a, that's, that's a shirt. That's what that is. Keep up the good luck. I'm going to try, man. I've been trying all my life. Finally got a little got a little run of it. But Jesus, folk, keep up the good luck if you can. If you got a run going, keep up the good luck. I clean the garage, man. I do it. I don't I'd like to say I do it yearly, but I hadn't done it in a while. And I had to throw out a lot of stuff, move some stuff out, vacuum. Where does the dust come from? I don't even have the window open here. What is dissolving? What is eroding? What is coming apart that causes so much dust? Is it just from me? Am I emanating dust Do the guests? I was, it got to the point here. Well, obviously I've been in production a lot. And you know, some of you have figured out that sometimes we record interviews and we don't um, put them up right away. But now it's like we got to get back on it. And I was sitting in my garage. I'm like, I'm a little ashamed of this mess. And uh, it no longer has the kind of cluttered charm that uh, the garage once had. Now it just looks cluttered. There's just stacks of shit everywhere. There's chaos. There's a mess. There's garbage. There's dust. And now I got it. Yeah, you know, I cleaned it up. Can breathe in here. And now it's time to start entertaining people again more frequently with pride in my cluttered shithole of a garage. Looks good, though. Looks good. I feel all right about it. Found some interesting stuff. Uh, it's weird when you do the cleaning. Because like, I was like, I got to do it. And I set my mind to it. But then you end up just just watching your life slowly pass before your eyes as you go through piles and boxes. You know, looking at my high school diploma. <laughs> looking at stuff I wrote 10 years ago. I got a stack of fucking like a week at a glances from 2001 1999 what I don't even know why I kept those I think you had to keep them at some point for tax reasons just looking at my schedule that was sort of weird underneath an amplifier in here like a little amp that's flush with the ground it's flush with the floor of the garage I picked it up and there was a fully preserved lizard skin a lizard had shed his skin under there perfectly. And I don't know how it got under there because it was almost pressed. I don't, know, I, I, I don't know if it was magic, but I do know that uh, a lizard shed his skin perfectly beneath an amplifier in my garage. And uh, I've tried to do that. I can only aspire to the perfectly shed skin. Right now, let's enjoy my, uh, my conversation with Michael Imperioli. Spectacular. Great guy. You're just going to, I mean, if you're a fan, you're just going to love hearing his voice. I just loved listening to him for, for as long as we talked. All right, here we go. It's weird. I don't know. I guess I associate you with New York in
1: my head. Oh, I was there forever till two years ago. Yeah, are you happy about it? You, know, you don't seem thrilled. <laughs> no, 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 I'm very happy. I know it was time for me to change. Yeah, yeah. And where'd you go? Santa Barbara. Right. <laughs> so, like,
0: why Santa Barbara?
1: I didn't. I didn't. You know, I didn't want to live in a big city anymore. Yeah, that was the thing. So, it's, yeah. And I mean, New York is the greatest city in the world. And if you, but if you don't want to live in a big city, you can't live there. Right. You, well, crazy. you could have
0: went upstate.
1: Apparently, I'm not really crazy about the suburbs in New York
0: no but, no, but further up Like the the country, the Hudson Valley I wanted something different We were ready for something different Do you live by the I... beach?
1: Oh, uh, about a mile and a half
0: oh, That's not bad How long of a drive is that? Uh, an hour and a half Well, thanks for coming down Thanks for having me <laughs> <That's> just, <laughs> It's weird because, you know, you're one of those guys I feel like I've seen all my life I feel familiar with you uh-huh. But of course I'm not
1: No, I feel the same about you. Is that true? We're not familiar with each other at all, but no, feel like we are. But in reality, we're not, right?
0: Uh, No, I don't know. I guess not. (laughs) I mean, like I, I, uh, because I, it's hard when you do a, a role like you did on The Sopranos for as long as you did it. Yeah. For people not to have this fucking relationship with you, of course. And then, like, even you know when you played Spider and all that stuff. Like when I was you know younger, I feel like I was younger when I saw you. How old are you? Uh, almost 49. All right, so I'm 51. Not that big a difference. Right. But I mean, I imagine that people come up to you all the time and they're like, hey, what's up? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> all the time, yeah. It's never going to go away. They don't,
1: uh, probably not.
0: <laughs> I fucking miss that show, buddy. Do you?
1: It was a lot of fun. Um, You know, I, I miss the camaraderie. We had a, you know, I knew a lot of those guys. Even before The Sopranos, yeah, from other jobs, yeah, some of them from acting school. Who? From I knew John Ventimiglia, who played the chef Artie Bucco. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in your movie. He was in my. I met him when I was seventeen, in acting school, and we were roommates. And then Sharon Angela, who's also in my movie, uh, she's great. The Hungry Ghost. We went to act. I know her since i was nineteen.
0: Really. How old were Uh, you, around the same age? It's hard for me to get ages.
1: Yeah, but we, you know, some of those people in my class started working together in indie film and in theater, and we started a company together. What school was it? It was an offshoot of Lee Strasberg Institute. It was a woman named Elaine Aiken who started her own studio. Uh Uh-huh. Alec Baldwin was in that class for a while.
0: yeah. Um, So it was one of those ones where everyone kind of gravitated around the personality of that woman, whoever that was.
1: What's her name? Elaine Aiken. Yeah, she died a number of years ago, but she Uh was a great teacher.
0: So you were part of that whole sort of New York acting thing, like going through (laughs) those Yeah, we did
1: that. I took some classes with Stella Adler. You did? I was Brando's teacher. Right. She was still alive. I took some classes with her. Well, How old were you? Uh, 17. Yeah? Um, And you just had to do that, right? I just uh, said... You know, I finished high school and like, okay, yeah. what do you? I I wound up not going to college. Yeah, I kind of bailed. Yeah, the night before I was supposed to leave in September, and just said I, I was going to go upstate to Albany, and, and I was like, state school to SUNY, SUNY, and then yeah. I was like, you know, I I want to be in the city. I want to be an actor, and and that's what I did. But um, you know, my teacher was really cool because she was like, you know, look, you don't have to go to college, but. If you want to be an actor, and you want to be an artist. You have to really educate yourself, and you have right. to learn about art. And this you have to was learn Elaine about painting and music and she told literature. You that? Yeah, okay. And uh, I went to museums with her, and she turned me on to books and one-on-one. Sometimes, yeah. So, this woman who was what, in her 70s? By then, she was probably in her late 60s, is, maybe early 70s. taken you around, the 17, 18 year old kid, yeah, to the Museum great, of Modern Art and stuff? To the Met. She was very generous, you know, that way. And very, um, you know, another kid who was in that class, a guy named Tom Gilroy, who's now a writer director. He just had a movie called The Cold Lands that came out, and he directed a movie called Spring Forward a number of years ago. huh. And he was an actor then, and we started, he started. We produced a Arthur Miller play called Incident at Vichy that Tom directed and I produced back in 88. I was like, started producing when I was in my early 20s. Yeah. And he started directing, then he started writing, so we started producing his stuff. And a lot of the people who were in my movie were way back in the 80s, we were doing this stuff.
0: Well, no, it's interesting to me. It's also yeah. interesting how, like when she would take you to museums and stuff, what did What did you learn? What did you put together at that time? Because where did you grow up?
1: I grew up right outside of the city, in Mount Vernon, New York. And what what, were you, what was your family like? What did your old man do? He was a bus driver in the Bronx. Really? Oh, for, for 30
0: years, yeah. So he's a uh, government job, right? City job, City yeah. job. MTA. Got his pension, retired. Uh-huh. That's what he was gunning for the whole way, right?
1: Semi-retired. He still works, but he's re- he gets a pension. He, What's he, he do? He drives uh, a couple of doctors. Oh, like uh, in the car. Yeah, it's pretty mellow. They, okay, they yeah. treat him really well. So. And your mom? My mom's retired. She was in the school. She worked in a public school. So what'd she do, teaching or? No, secretary. And so you grew up working class, New York. Yeah. Italian. Yeah. Very? Yeah. Italian, you know, third generation. Right. But um, very much that was my neighborhood and friends and stuff. Catholic. Yeah. Food. Lots of it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good food good stuff
0: well you won the the chop thing you know, i was obsessed with chop for a long time i won the celebrity competition i know. had you know i've had uh conant on here scott conant uh-huh. and i've had uh, i didn't he
1: wasn't on my episode but i've had uh you know what's her name alex Gernicelli. she was one of my judges she's yeah. tough man she was good to me though you know? yeah <laughs> she was really good to me
0: <laughs> who were you up against
1: uh i was up the finalist was uh brandy chastain who mm-hmm. was the the Olympic women's soccer team. Yeah. She was the chick who took off her shirt and was wearing a sports bra, that famous picture. She was the fine. It was me and her in the Was final. she good? She was pretty good, yeah. yeah. Where'd you learn how to cook? You know, I worked in restaurants for many, many years in all aspects of the business, and I learned a little bit there, but then I, I really learned from doing it because my wife doesn't cook, so when we started having kids... I we used to get takeout in New York from every restaurant because yeah, yeah. we were always on the go, and I started hating every. I got, just got sick of everything. Stack of menus. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted home food, yeah. so I started learning stuff that I liked, and you know, still to just keep. After you know, eighteen years of doing it, you start. You got a knack for getting it. good, yeah.
0: Yeah, but you know, you gotta have a feel for it. You
1: yeah, well, I, I like to eat.
0: So you <laughs> like to eat, <laughs> but some people can't <laughs> fucking do it. They can't cook. They just can't get it. Yeah, it takes a little. I guess you have to have a little knack. You gotta, like, I think the the key is, like, uh, you have to be able to conceive, conce- conceptualize what you're cooking. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah. You and gotta see yeah. the end. You gotta see the end, and you get inspired by an ingredient. Yeah. You go, like, where I live, they have a great farmer's market on the weekend. You yeah. go and you see what's in season, what looks good, and then you're like, oh, I can make this. Yeah. With this and You love it, know. right? Oh, it's nice. Yeah.
0: It's All true. right, so back to the
1: museum. So you're going you're hanging around with this acting teacher. What's her name again? Elaine Elaine Aiken, yeah. Famous. I think John John Ventimiglia and I went with her when they had a I remember in the late 80s they had a, a the Hermitage in in Russia. They sent this big collection yeah. over of a lot of the big impressionists like yeah. Van Gogh and Picasso and stuff, but stuff that had never been seen mm-hmm. in the West, you know, for a long time. I don't think the uh, huh? uh, it was probably right before, before, still before the wall came down. Yeah. But somehow they had this exchange, so we went to see these paintings, and and it really made a big. It was the first time I kind of understood what an artist did, you know? like Well, what is he doing? He's not just painting what he sees. He's painting. He's interpreting what he sees through his emotion. That day, I really kind of clicked. in. Right.
0: So exactly what she wanted you to know about art.
1: Yeah, there was a painting... By Van Gogh called Rain. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen it since, but it was very abstract. And yeah. It was, you know, it was his thing of the rain. And then it kind of clicked. Oh, yeah. Know, for me, at least at that point. <laughs> it's I was good a moment, kid. right? It was a big moment, yeah. But, you know, I remember that. And sure. it really instilled, uh, you know, cons- a, 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 a conceptual notion of what an artist does or can do and she gave me that that's uh-huh. very big that for a teacher to instill in a student you know well it's it's
0: interesting that she knew innately you know as somebody who's teaching creative people how to act that you need to know about these other things yes you know you need you know. to you know if you're not going to go to college you need to
1: broaden your right your thing right she wasn't she never said you need to get good headshots she, right she was totally unconcerned with the whatever methods of getting work. She never spoke about agents. She never spoke about auditions or anything like that. She was all about the craft and, and that was it.
0: And what, do you still use her principles or ideas? Yeah, all the
1: time. I do because it's, would, the thing I took most from her is a way of creating privacy, uh-huh. you know, in the, in the, on the set right really uh-huh. so you can be free to express yourself without inhibitions
0: well and now that that was an idea she showed you guys
1: well through technique through you know um they use sense memory uh-huh. they you know there was this one exercise called private moment which basically you you create say you know, Mark, you're gonna create how you feel in this because you like being in the studio, you get inspired in the yeah. studio, you create here, yeah, so you imagine, okay, here's the walls, here's the yeah. shelves, here's yeah. the books, and then you infuse that with whatever scene you're doing, okay, and hope for, you know and and I can use that because sometimes you know you're you're shooting on the street and there's people watching and there's helicopters, and right. there's noise, and there's people yelling, and let's go, let's go. You need to find a way to center yourself, to concentrate, to focus in these things. And that's one way that really works for me. And that's something that she she taught us. She she really, that was a big exercise for her.
0: Yeah. And I noticed, you know, in your movie, which I watched yesterday, which it's been a few years, right? We shot that in
1: 2008. And where is it at now? You can just get it. It's available on well, Netflix? Well, it was on Netflix for a long time. I don't know if it's still there. It was there for a long time. Um... It's called The Hungry Ghost. So I don't know if the website, if you can order it there. Virgil Films is the distributor. You could probably order it from them.
0: Were you happy with that movie? Oh, yeah. How long did it take you to make that? 25 days. Yeah. And you wrote the whole thing. Yeah. And directed the whole thing. You have a little bit of a cameo in there. No. You're not in it at all? No. I thought you were the cop. You're not the cop. That's my brother. I I would say, I look at him I was like, geez, he put on Um, weight. (laughs) My
1: (laughs) my younger brother, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's the cop? My father was the guy who picks uh steve up in the car service in the beginning oh yeah yeah no i thought it was a very uh uh engaging movie
0: and it was uh, a little disturbing yeah and it, it took on all the big questions but i i noticed that everyone was acting their balls off yeah yeah in the sense that like these were you know because i didn't know a lot of those people i know the kid i saw him in the in the uh the movie with uh with ryan Gosling. Yeah. yeah
1: i think this was his first movie like how old was he he was 18. I didn't know him. He was, That was pretty much the only part that we auditioned people. Pretty much everyone else in that movie, that the parts were written for them. Uh, my wife and I had a theater that we built in New York. We had, we produced new plays for a number of I years. I remember that. What was it called? Studio Dante. Yeah. And about 18 or 19 of those actors were either in productions or in the class. We had classes there. We taught acting. You taught? Yeah. I taught Sharon, Angela uh vince curatola who played johnny sack and nick sandow Mm -hmm. who is now on uh orange is the new black he's another the other lead in the movie yeah four of us taught at the school at the theater but mostly we produce new plays Uh uh-huh yeah shrimp i know from comedy he used to book a room at the trop
0: did you work the room no no i never worked there but i i i remember his name
1: and i remember him being around but you, you do, I never do worked you stand girl. up in Vegas. Not much. I don't. I wanted to bring my son tonight because he's he's a, a stand up comedian. Is he? Yeah, he's seven. He just turned seventeen Saturday. Uh huh. And the last year he's been performing on uh, in clubs. Oh yeah, and I don't know classes. if I've met him. No, you've never met. him. But he, I, you know, he's he's in junior in high school, so he had a lot of projects, but he couldn't make it down. But he was, he kind of was the one who said you have to do this. Uh, <laughs> This show because he has a book that you wrote that I got him and he's oh the uh, my my book yeah oh that's he's the, a very big fan of yours
0: that's very nice that's what, that's what got that's what landed you uh, that's how I, I, he
1: kind of sealed the deal you know he's like because he, oh, he, he's a big admirer of yours so. well that's a very
0: sweet what's yeah. his name
1: Vadim Vadim yeah
0: that's a uh, where'd you get that's that a Russian my what? wife is uh, Russian oh really and, yeah well that's very uh that's exciting man well I wish him the best
1: of luck how's he doing is he funny. He's funny, man. He uh, he writes his own stuff. He's he's uh, he's good. He performed once in L.A. at the John Lovitz Club at yeah. Universal City. Oh my Wall. God, that's so that horrendous! Was a, not a, it was a good good experience for him because it okay. was with you know real comics. Yeah, it was a it was like a. It's Tuesday just a weird night. location. Yeah, it's not a destination. <laughs> it's it's yeah, people yeah. who are going on their way. But and the this is- the staff there is great. They're really good people. Oh, but, they- and he's done a bunch of clubs in. Santa Barbara, he opened for uh, Lee Camp. Do you know uh-huh. him? He, yeah. opened for, <laughs> he opened for Yakov Shmirnov. <laughs> Yakov, i had Yakov in here. Uh, yeah, a team opened for him once in Santa Barbara. And a um, couple other pretty good comments. So, what's he got, like 20 minutes? Mm, 15, 15, 10, 10 minutes. 15. That's you, great, man. How do you feel about your kid going into the arts? It's. I mean that's scary watching. Him. I mean ten o'clock on a Saturday. There's a room full of drunk people. Son, you know he looks really young. He's uh-huh. seventeen, but he looks even younger. So uh-huh. He gets on stage. and it's, it's pretty frightening, you know. But like, but in but terms of go. like,
0: do you, are you concerned for the the struggle of entering show business? I, you know, I think
1: today everything's a struggle. I mean, what isn't a struggle? I mean, yeah, it's. You know he's going to have to support himself doing other things anyway, so right. it's it's not unlike any other job it seems. But well, that's a good people, way to look at it. People are going to do what they're you know destined th- to do, and what they would would hopefully if they if they feel the courage, yeah, and the support. Yeah, he has a really good teacher in Santa Barbara named Louise Palanker, um, a stand-up teacher. Yeah, really? Yeah, she she runs a teen. That's how he got into it. She runs a teen comedy class in Santa Barbara. Uh-huh. And, uh huh, and. He was kind of doing class clown stuff and getting in class clown trouble in school. Right. And I found this class. I said, "You're going to go." Uh... You suggested it. He said, "No, I don't want to do this." And the first time he went, he goes, "That's the greatest thing I've ever done." And now he's hooked. Yeah, <laughs> I suggested it to challenge his, really his energy. Yeah, that's that's great. And and and, and Lisa, now it's stuck. Louise is a great. She's been a great. And mentor. now you got a comic in the family. And I got a comic in the family. You know? And what are the other kids? How old are they? Is he the oldest? He's in the middle. I have a daughter who's tw- who's 24 who's uh, into photography. She's in school in New York at SUNY Purchase. Shooting? Shooting and art management now. Really? She's getting into studying that. And then I have a 13 year old boy who's uh, into guitar. Yeah. yeah? All artists. <laughs> all in yeah, the arts. All in the arts, yeah. You play guitar, right? I do, yeah. You good?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's very. Yeah. <laughs> what? You know what I'm saying. I mean I play I play in a band I mean I, I mean I read about exist. that
0: I couldn't I didn't I didn't I couldn't find a record though the soundtrack was uh, was the, a great oh, soundtrack the
1: opening the opening instrumental is it's is, you? Is, is my band is, uh, is Zopa and the but the a lot of the singer that you hear the singer songwriter stuff that was uh, Elijah Aminton who plays in my band he plays bass but he writes his own music and he scored a lot of that original It stuff. sounded great Yeah he did a lot of that for the Yeah, music. some of it sounded kind of Stonesy yeah, he's really good. Yeah. And then the band stuff, like the opening instrumental is is our band. But he did his own stuff for the score.
0: Was that the original dream or was it the side dream? Rock and you roll, know, when, playing uh, music.
1: You know, acting kind of was the first thing I went into. But yeah. I started playing uh, in, in bands pretty much at the same time. Yeah. And I played guitar in one band. And then I started singing with another band. Right when I started working as an actor, and I couldn't do both at the same time right. at that point in my life, so you know, I was you know, uh, the one band I was in, I was singing. It was a uh, drummer and a guitar player, and they went on. They you know, after I left, they got this woman um, Brenda Souter who was in the Feelies. Oh, you know that, the band? yeah, 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 yeah. And sh- they formed a band called Wild Carnation out of that. Some of the music that they that we wrote they went on and did other versions of without my lyrics Uh uh-huh they do all right yeah really good but so i so i I, that was something you know in the 80s in new york a lot of people were doing a lot of different things it wasn't uncommon for artists to you know basquiat had a band that he played in a band with vincent gallo you know, Vincent, Gallo well, Vincent a Valgo. Vincent Valgo was a painter when <laughs> yeah. he started. Before yeah. he was an actor. Are you friends with him? I met him once on the street. We ran into each other and had about a two-hour conversation. Yeah, on the Bleecker Street. That and was that the was only it? time we ever met. Yeah, I think he lives. I don't wonder if he lives here. He, he's an he's interesting guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious talented. about that guy.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. I don't know what he's up yeah. to.
1: He's very talented.
0: He's a little scary to me. <laughs> Some people think that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he's just one of those guys where he, and he strikes me as a guy, So like, I don't know if he's fucking with me or not. No, I feel we, like,
1: we had a very... It was, it was one of those times you just... All of a sudden, you stop what you're doing and have this two-hour conversation great. with someone you never met. It was very... Yeah, it was really interesting.
0: Well, New York in the 80s. I was there in 89... You know, that's when I got there. And it was sort of like there was still that that feeling of of vitality to Lower East Side art scene and and what was left of performance art was sort of still around. It was right before it all kind of went away Mm -hmm. and became something else. It seemed like a very exciting place to live. It was very exciting. When were you there? there? Like what? 83. Oh, so
1: that was like the middle of it. Fantastic. And you were like, what, 17? 17, yeah. Oh, it was like Oz. Yeah, yeah. You know, not the TV show. Yeah, (laughs) everything. Everything was still like happening. It was. It was very exciting. Parties and stuff. Mm hmm. And did you know Basquiat? No, I didn't know. I knew. some of the people from that scene a, year, a couple of years later, like Kenny Sharf, uh-huh. Debbie Debbie Mazar was part of that scene, and uh, Joey Arias and those people. Yeah, it was exciting. God damn,
0: man! Well, I know, like watching your movie. Like if you wrote that, if that came out of you, you had a fight with something.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a lot of people had you know a lot of people in my circle. That's that movie came out of a place of you know spiritual searching and. Addiction. Uh, seeing a lot of addiction around me, yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, and, and what started out as kind of part of the scene and kind of, you know, casual and part of the lifestyle, and, and then over time, you see it start to just destroy people. It's know? horrible. Yeah. Yeah, people get strung out, can't stop, lose their Yeah, life. and they rely on it, and, you know, it's it goes from being, you know, something that's that's part of your youth to put something that's killing you you yeah you saw a lot of that yeah well that
0: movie like they're struggling with uh you know spiritual elements you know and and to be the lead character was an interesting character it reminded me a little of the movie like it's a hard role to play you know the the guy that is you know sort of demonically possessed with the truth and it's existentially sort of or what he thinks is the truth. Right.
1: Yeah. But but he's he it's all a, a negation. Yes. That's what it became. It started out he probably started out with very good intentions and yeah. had a lot of artistic am, uh, uh, sensibilities and ambitions but never quite fulfilled them and you know had had was a seeker, a spiritual seeker, yeah. you know, maybe read and then that stuff started to turn on itself when he couldn't basically he couldn't let go of his ego he he, right he wanted on his own terms you know he kind of was almost too smart for his own good right and and he understood things in a very literal intellectual way but he was never able to really integrate those things into true compassionate action you know he takes this guy this he, he he does he takes this homeless guy in but he starts out with very different intent he kind of does it as this kind of Karawackian and kind of beat right. on the road where I'm hanging with this guy. Right. And we're drinking in the park, and yeah. then he kind of feels responsible. He gets a motel room. He puts this guy up, and this guy kind of you know starts to treat him like shit. You know, and, and shits it, all over himself, and he has to clean it up. And you don't see it, but, but know, that was I spared the viewers all that stuff. But, but. but I
0: thought that was an interesting moment because what's that guy going to do? And the fact that he cleaned him up, right. you know, was you know was sort of an interesting moment, right? That he made that choice, right? Could have split,
1: yeah. It um. It kind of was based on it was based on a real life experience actually. When we, my wife and I owned a bar for a while. Yeah, I've never actually told anybody this that that it was based on this. What happened was, there's a guy who was drinking in the bar, got really drunk, yeah. passed out. Yeah. So we kind of figure, all right, let him sleep it off. Now it's four o'clock in the morning. We're cleaning up. The guy's still passed out. So yeah. we wake the guy up. Turns out he's on leave or AWOL or something from the military. Yeah. And doesn't know where he's staying. This is with bars in Chelsea. Doesn't know where he's staying in New York. His ID says Arizona. I call his father in Arizona. His father doesn't know anything. Doesn't know where he's staying. Doesn't know if he's with the army or not. And he guy was an asshole. Yeah. The guy was, an, you know, just degrading women cursing at other customers nasty to me you know fuck you and i'm, I'm sorry no
0: you can. can cuss here you
1: can't okay yeah. um but now we you know he passes out now he wakes up i don't know what to do with him so i put him in a cab i get in a cab with him is he still shit-faced shit-faced yeah. out of his mind doesn't know where he is yeah uh we go to this hotel on the west side that I know is like a flop house and cheap place because mm-hmm. you know I didn't have I didn't have a lot of money on me then or whatever yeah I get him a room it was like 50 bucks bring him now I gotta get him up the the stairs <laughs> and he starts cursing at people and I start yelling at him pretending I'm like his sergeant yeah I'm like you're a soldier your job is to protect the people not to abuse the people and he's like oh yeah yeah, okay yes you're right. And put him in bed. That was you, you took and that put roll? Five dollars on his yeah. the nightstand yeah. and then closed the door and then just left. Right. And you know a lot of people well why are you gonna do that? You know, the guy's an asshole, you should just but if if I left him on the street, he probably would someone would have kicked his head in or something because yeah. he was rolled him whatever. Yeah, or he would have started mouthing off to the wrong person. Right. But um you know so when I was writing the script, I kind of thought of that thing, and it's like when you dis- when you take that step to kind of help somebody, just because you feel a little bit, you know, the, yeah. he was young, he was probably 21, yeah. 22. right? He was got drunk in my place. Now I feel kind of responsible, right? <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. I'm not going to take him to my house. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah, uh, you know asshole. I had kids, and the guy, yeah, who knows what he's going to yeah, yeah, yeah. do, right?
0: Um, but you felt like
1: you, you wanted to take care of I didn't of him. have the heart to leave the guy on the street, right. which was the only other option. He didn't know where to go. He had a what, hotel key with no name of the hotel on it. You know what I mean? It was just like- So maybe he'll figure it out the next day. That's what your thought was. He's going to figure something out the next day when he's sober. At <laughs> yeah, least he'll know He'll know where the hell he is. But
0: what were you saying about when you start to get involved, when you do something compassionate, there's a there's a moment What where you-
1: well, where you know where you're, you're opening yourself to. It's not necessarily going to go the way. You're not going to get reward. I mean, the guy like abused me the whole time, right. Pretty much, mm-hmm. cursed at me. Oh, well, attacked me at one point. Yeah, when we got out of the cab, started you know went at me and <laughs> and that's uh, I just remember that I left that part out of the story. Literally attacked me when I and I had to kind of calm him down again. But you take that step and it doesn't just because you're acting out of a you're trying to be a nice guy doesn't right. mean that it's going to go the way you want and they're right. going to understand that you're being nice nor or, or appreciate it right? right right that's where that scene came out of it's well that's interesting isn't oh, yeah. it it didn't it's not the same scene no, 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 but, but it but, was inspired by but the that. idea of selflessness let's say right. cuz it was i think i'm looking back on myself saying it was kind of a bullshit altruistic act in my mind i think i was kind of i don't know i mean Maybe, in some in some respects. Well, no, you took care of the guy. Yeah, I, mean, I felt I, kind of responsible. Right. Well, I mean, so but I probably maybe... shouldn't have served him all those. I didn't serve him. Someone else did, but we probably should have been a little more careful <laughs> on how much the guy was drinking when we were, you know. Yes, you see, know.
0: So it wasn't completely altruistic. You he, wanted to clear your conscience. He, he
1: was, yes, right. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, well, that's still good. I never heard so. back from the guy. Never heard back. Well, I didn't leave him my information, but he—I don't even think he probably remembered where he was. I don't know how he got there. I think he got there with people, but at some point he was alone. He didn't remember who he was with. I mean, it was—I mean, imagine waking up in this hotel. Then, then I thought, God, imagine he's going to wake up in that hotel room, hungover. Yeah. He's not going to know where the hell he is. Yeah. Even when he walks out, he's not going to know where he is. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be. It's gonna. He had be no money on him. Exciting day for him exciting they're trying to figure out how to get back <laughs>
0: but with all that did you find that with that script that script because you know it's nicely shot it's beautifully put together it's a, it's a big undertaking that movie oh. it's funny cuz i noticed you were shooting at give
1: me give me records and and he, they have one i just saw it's him, him. It's the same guy. He moved here. He was a friend of the producer, and yeah, he Dan. let us have. He let us have. I've it. shot there was, in my TV show. I, I drove by and I was like, "God, that's the place." I texted him last night. He said, We're looking at your old store." Yeah. Yeah. Same guy. And we got posters from Rob. Robert Pollard gave us some posters. Oh, from uh, Guided by Voices? And and, and Lou Reed gave us a poster to use for the the movie.
0: Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I had to reach out for my TV show. I got to reach out to everybody. You can't fucking everything. You can't put anything up.
1: Yeah. Did you know Lou Reed? Yeah, he came to this, when we uh, screened it in New York, he came to see it, which was a big deal for me. I get, you know, Lou is my hero. Basically, yeah, out of anybody, God, I fucking love him. And uh, I just bought a second copy of the Blue uh, Mask yesterday. Well, that's a good one. <laughs> good. So he he performed in two thousand. He did the the Ecstasy album, and he was he did a tour, and he played at the Knitting Factory in Tribeca. So yeah. I called my manager. I said, "Listen, could you get? Because yeah, the show was on the air, so at that then I, I was able to like get tickets sometime." I said, "Can you get tickets for Lou Reed?" She said, "Okay," because it was sold out. She got me tickets. Um, the show was over. And my wife and I was about to leave and someone came and said, Lou wants to meet you and I was like Who Just wants out to of nowhere? Me. Well, I guess they got the tickets through the publicist, and he but knew- But you never was... met him before. He had... I, I met him twice, but he didn't know who I was. You know, I met him on the street. He, he would walk- I lived in the village. He lived in the village. You'd see Walt Lou Reed walking around the village from time to time, and a couple of times I said stuff, but he didn't know who I was.
0: Because I went and got a record signed by him in college at a, at a record store. I told the story before. He was you know?
1: just shopping there. No, no.
0: He was he was there to sign the record, oh. and I waited on line. Get, well, that's amazing. Uh, what record was it? Well, I got—I was uh, well—I got him to sign Transformer, but he was on, but he was on the new in tra- the new sensations uh, uh, junket. But so signed Transformer. But I got yeah, I got Transformer, but I got all the Velvet stuff. I got all kinds of. I love no. that guy. All right, so okay, so, so we
1: went backstage, and he was like, he, 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 you know, he just was really nice, and we stayed and uh, stayed in, in touch. You know, I have a- He was nice. What did he say? Oh, yeah. Uh, he just was very complimentary about the show and my acting, and he was really happy that I came, and And I just said, man, I said, your, your music has always been with me, you know, in my adult life, and has got me through a lot of things, and he gave me a big hug. It was a very big uh, moment for me, and on my wall, my office, I have the last email that I got from him two months before he passed away and he he, you know to me he was the great American poet of the 20th century no doubt I mean him and Ginsburg I mean they when you look at the scope of what he's done over all this time I mean he was still so throughout his you know toward to the end of his life so creative and still doing new music and just being brilliant and so New York so New York it's not the same without him it can't be no, he Did he you go to the, the funeral or anything? No, I didn't go. to I was here and on the West Coast. I wasn't able. to Did get you know he back. was sick? Yeah, yeah. Everyone pretty much knew. I didn't, and then I found out that he had the, the transplant. Yeah,
0: is that um, what happened? Didn't take. Is that what happened?
1: mutual friend said, "Yeah, he got the transplant. It wasn't so. You know, I got back and you know, I you got back in touch with him, and then." You know that was yeah, but when the night we had the screening of The Hungry Ghost was at the Rubin Museum in New York, which mm. was a Buddhist museum, Tibetan Buddhist art, and uh, he came, and I was like, that was to me that was it's, fantastic.
0: It, but those were that was a generation like we're we're a third generation away from that.
1: But they were around, man. In well, I worked at a place called Cafe bruxelles on Greenwich Avenue in New York. Yeah. Across the street from that place, well, for this is 1988, there was a place called the Rare Book Room. So yeah. one day I walk into the place, and Greg, Gregory Corso's in there, sure, yeah, with the owner. Gregory Corso's behind the counter. I don't know <laughs> if he's working there or what. And then <laughs> Herbert Hunky walks in, really, and Peter Orlovsky. Come on, those guys were all still around in the eighties, and then Hunky must be just a little
0: little, a little, 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 little
1: tiny ex-junkie, oh, huh? Hunky. Right when he died, he yeah. was living, I was living on the same floor as the Chelsea Hotel as him. He lived on, on on the eighth floor. You lived in the Chelsea Hotel? For about a year, and he was on the floor of that. And the the, the last time I saw him, I helped him in the cab, and he said, Someday I'm going to do the same for you. <laughs> 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 and then he, he died a couple of months later. Did you meet Ginsburg, or was he gone? Over? I met him on the street outside uh, St. Mark's Church, outside of poetry reading. Got him to sign a... Uh, Kaddish. Uh-huh. How do you pronounce that? Kaddish. Kaddish. Yeah, it's a hell of a. All those guys were around. Great for years. Yeah, you know? I know, I know, I know. I mean was, that. I mean, t- Burroughs was in New York for years. I never you know. met Burroughs. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think he lived down on, you know, over by CBGB somewhere for a he while. He lived on
1: the Bowery, yeah, the yeah. bunker, and uh, yeah, the, there's um John Giorno lives in that loft now. He's Still, called, I think the same place. Yeah, I think he he inherited it or took it over from Burroughs. What? Who turned you on to those guys? At what point? Um, I you know who turned was the guy that I mentioned Tom Gilroy who's now a you know filmmaker. He yeah, he turned me on the, on the road when you were like 18 17 I had never even heard of those guys, and then I started reading all the all the. Be- I, I love that was your thing. I love got you, beat, in, right? beat you in yeah. right gets you in right
0: because it gets you into New York it gets you like you know through that portal you get to Warhol you get to Lou you get to everybody in a way <laughs> yes indeed. because uh, you know if you're if you're compelled creatively. Along those lines, right. all of it, like you know, even the art. I mean, you know, people resist it; they'll fight back against it. But that was it, you know that that beat New York is
1: where it was. Well, at. the Beats gave, really kind of gave birth to the hippie movement. If yeah, but I mean, it all. I'm, back, I'm not sure right? that they're happy about it, but yeah. Well, I mean, look at the influence it had on, on, you know, politically and culturally and artistic. Yeah, yeah,
0: I think that like the the pushback against like you know the the you know whatever Eisenhower was doing or whatever, but like. But between Neil Cassidy and William Burroughs, you know the you, you get a lot of things. You know, I mean, you don't get you don't really get like they all seem to have their role because Burroughs is the the portal to all that heroin right. stuff. I mean, to like you know the glorification and, of it, any of
1: it. And then the whole then there's the Paul Bowles.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, then can, yeah, and Tim Geison, Giro. Brian Geison, yeah. doing the Dream Machine and Pretty you know,
1: wild stuff. Do you know, of, they just did. Do you know the they just found this long lost letter. Have you heard about this? Uh-huh. The Joan Anderson letter, which it's called the Joan Anderson letter. So, Neil Cassidy wrote Kerouac a Jones letter. Wife? You mean Kerouac's wife, is it? Joan, An- Joan Anderson was a girl that Neil was dating at okay. the time, but he wrote Kerouac a letter. This is before On the Road. Yeah. 18-page letter. Yeah. Kerouac reads this letter, and it basically, you know, the, he wrote The Town and the City, which was a very much more straightforward- more Thomas, to, Like more, Thomas Wolfe book, yeah. Right, classically yeah. in yeah. style. He read this letter, this yeah. letter- Basically changed the way, and Kerouac had this epiphany, I'm going to write like this guy, this spontaneous bop prose, right. which is how Neil wrote letters. Right. Neil was 22, but he was in un, you know, sure. kind of on a, a reform school, yeah, kid, yeah. but had this incredible literary sense. So Joan had this letter. And, uh, he, they, they call it Joan Anderson letter because he mentions this story of Joan Anderson, a girlfriend, I think who wound up in a mental hospital or something like that. Anyway... Kerouac gives it to Ginsburg, and it circulates among the beats, and then it's lost. It's been lost since the 50s. Really? It just resurfaced in the archives of an old, defunct publishing house called the Golden Goose Press. But this one letter really... Was the key. To changing kind of American literature, sure. It's it's really quite. They thought it fell into you know the the, the Pacific Ocean up uh-huh. near San Francisco, off Sausalito. That was the last time it was seen. Really? Hasn't been seen in fifty years. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. That's the letter where he's like, "All right, well, Neil's not going to do it. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I guess it's on me." It's pretty wild. Right? It's great. Yeah, that's fascinating that you're you're into this shit because I I mean I love it. I love it.
1: Yeah, no, it was a big, big moment in you know in in literature. You know, it's but really, for you, I
0: mean, you know, I, I think that it sort of informs to me. You know, certainly that movie. You know, the, the search, the the idea of, of searching for either or, you know uh, spiritual truth or poetic truth or artistic truth. I mean, it seemed like you know that's, you're compelled by that, and that you know yeah. whatever gift the Beat Generation gave you, whatever the gift Elaine gave you in understanding that you have that within you. It's sort of what drives you. Yeah. So in in terms of of struggling with these things, was drugs ever a
1: problem for you? uh, No, that wasn't a problem for me, but it was a problem for a lot of people around me. So you saw the horror of it. But what about the spiritual search? Where'd you land on that? I was brought up Catholic. I got exposed to the Buddhism through through Jack Kerouac, you know, through reading his stuff in my early teens, but I didn't, I kind of liked the ideas of it, but I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really ready for it, you know. So I started to, around this time when I wrote this movie. I was really reading a lot of different kind of spiritual writers, like Gurdjieff and Uspensky and Castaneda, and all that stuff. You can follow. Well, it. I I liked it a lot, but it didn't really. I couldn't. Was- nothing really kind of took hold of me till I started uh, reading Tibetan Buddhism and started going. It would really, when I started going to teachings and started seeing, you know, actual real authentic Tibetan Buddhist teachers. You started going to teachings. Yeah. What does one do there? You just sit there? Listen to listen to a teacher. To the guy? Yeah, I mean, my teacher is a, a guy named Garchen Rinpoche, who's a Tibetan Buddhist Lama, who uh, he's in his late 70s now. He spent 20 years in prison in Tibet after the Chinese, you know, occupied Tibet in 1959. And then when he got out of prison, Made his way to the West through India. Um, But, uh, you know, like I said, I would read a lot of these books before I got into Buddhism and and they would make sense and they'd inspire me, but nothing really. After the book was done, uh, didn't stick. Didn't stick, but through Buddhism, I found a practice that you can, you know, start to work. Yeah. On a daily basis, or some semi daily basis, yeah. and 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 then, then I felt things um, sticking more,
0: like a meditation practice. Yeah,
1: meditation. Yeah, definitely. What else? Well, reading, reading, you know, texts, and but the the the, the most important thing is to find in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, the the Lama, the Guru, the the teacher is of paramount importance really, find, mm-hmm. and finding the right teacher.
0: Alright, so you do meditation mm-hmm. and the and the, the,
1: the I go to the, teasers, the Lama is know. of utmost importance. What does that mean? Well because he's your you know he's your link to the teachings of the Buddha, which is, you know right in, in, in
0: and that wh- goes back his Lama goes back to his lama and then-
1: Well why I like the Tibetan tradition is that because of its geographic location, its isolation mm-hmm. um, you know it was isolated for so many centuries that a lot of the teachings kind of you know stayed very yeah uh they stayed in very specific lineages oral lineages from one per, one teacher to the next so, mm-hmm. so you know now in the 21st century you you know there's still these teachers alive who like Archon Rinpoche who you know became a monk in Tibet you know before it was occupied by the Chinese so now are you in touch with your guy yeah i saw him last week in Arizona, yeah. he has a center in Arizona, in the desert, in the mountains. How often do you have to check in? Well, I, I whenever I can. He has a center in uh, L.A. Uh-huh. in Arcadia that he he teaches there once in a while, and all over the world actually. huh. In in Asia. And uh, Europe and Russia. And when you say teachings, when you go, so you read and you teach... What He teaches, I mean, he, on different things, you know. I mean, he'll teach on different aspects of Buddha. I mean, the teachings of the Buddha are very vast. You know, He t- the Buddha taught for 50 years. You know, really? There's a, a lot, lot there, teachings. huh? A lot, yeah.
0: How does it help you on a day-to-day basis, outside of being calmer or whatever? Like, how does it help you problem-solve or move through things?
1: Well, I mean this is more for other people to say about me who are with me all the time to confirm that it's actually true. In my mind, I'd like to think (laughs) there's certain things. What did, you know, I mean, for me, it's a lot, you know, something happens and you react to it, right? That's how, you know. Sure. So practice can give you a moment or a gap to think or pause before you react, right? So, mm-hmm. if somebody cuts you off, your instinct is to drive by, give the guy the finger, sure. cut him off, right. do something like that. You know, Hot you get head. that impulse. Sure. Sometime. This is just an example, right? You an angry guy? No, no, not necessarily. I'm just right. giving you, I'm no, not, this it. is not it. even my own example. Okay. It's, an, it's a general example. Okay. Uh, but then you can have a moment where you get the presence of mind that it's like, okay. Is this what I want to do? Is this going to be productive? You know, because one of the big tenets and foundations of, you know, Buddhism is karma, right? The yeah. law of cause and effect.
0: Every yeah.
1: action has a reaction in yeah. those things. huh. So your action, if you do a very aggressive act, very often the reaction is going to be
0: uh-huh.
1: of aggression. Sure. Yeah, I get it. But, you know... Um, and I knew these things, but before they only went so far and stayed intellectual, right? When you actually start to, if you, if you are lucky enough to, to be around teachers and be around really good, authentic teachers Uh and develop a practice, then maybe you can be able to, I mean, I'm a student, man. I'm, you know, kindergarten. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, it's working for you. I, I, yeah, I find a lot of, it's, it's a very rich and a lot of wisdom there for me. Yeah, how many years you've been in it? Um, funny enough, when this this we shot this 2008 this film, then as soon as it was done editing, yeah, in the and f- uh, when the film was edited, one kind of found the teacher, yeah.
0: So 2009ish, yeah,
1: around. So pretty f- six
0: years, pretty recent. Six years, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good, man. And it doesn't require anything of you financially or promoting wise, or you know, it's not like a religion. It's more of a
1: <laughs> well. I mean, it doesn't require you yeah. to do anything. No, yeah. I mean, unless you want to, unless right. you feel, you know, Well, yeah,
0: you support. What are you going to support if you man.
1: feel um, inspired to do that? But it's not. No, they don't recruit people. They don't do any proselytizing. They don't go door to door. We don't yeah. do any of those things. Yeah. I. Uh, so is that why you screened the
0: movie at the Tibetan Buddhist Center?
1: Yeah, because you were. It must have been new. You must. By been... then, we want. You know, we we. Um, yeah, I forget exactly how that came about, but we we thought it would be a cool auspicious it's, place.
0: It's interesting though, because like there is something poetic about Buddhism, and with your sort of, uh, you know, your respect for Lou and for poets and for stuff like that. For Lou those... and
1: I did a bunch of fundraisers for Buddhism. Lou was in, was uh, uh, a student of Mingyur Rinpoche, who so was another Tibetan Buddhist Lama. Probably, oh, was he? Yeah, you know, for a long time. I don't know. I mean, you know. When you become a Buddhist, you take refuge. That's what it's called. When you actually officially, whatever yeah. become, you take refuge. It's called taking refuge. I'm not. I don't know if he did, but I know he went, he he studied with Mingyur Rinpoche for a while. Yeah. What the, he was involved in the Buddhist community in New York. Yeah. And you spent a lot of time with Lou. I didn't spend a lot of time, but the time I spent with him was very precious to me. Yeah. I he's can't he's, say I spent tons, but I mean. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but the, you know, he's a nice guy memorable. to you. He was very generous and kind, yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. So the first, like,
0: when you started uh, getting roles, um, you were like, what, 18, 19? When did no. you play Spider? When did that happen? When I
1: was 23, 22, 23.
0: Were you friends with the kid who played the Leotis' uh, brother? What's a, He's a New York Kevin actor.
1: Corrigan. Yeah, Kevin Corrigan. Yeah. Well, were you we in the met, same crew? I know him now. I mean, we met a little bit after Goodfellas. But I knew his brother... His brother and I worked in a wedding hall in the in the Bronx as waiters. Really? I mean, his brother Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly <laughs> enough, but Kevin's a great actor. I love Kevin. Yeah. I think he's tremendous. I just didn't know if y'all. How many of y'all knew each other? I do. I know him way back before. You know, probably right after Goodfellas. You films. worked in a, uh, a wedding hall. Yeah. Just Italian the, weddings. When what? When in high school? Seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of kids in my neighborhood did.
0: So all right, so you you get this job with Scorsese. What was that must have oh, been yeah. amazing. Wait,
1: so you go yeah. on in on a general casting? I went I had just gotten an an agent to, to start so I was I guess I was 22.
0: 88, yeah. 89
1: 23 and um so I went to meet the casting director, uh, Juliet Taylor, Ellen Lewis, and they said, "Oh, they liked what I did and they next thing I know is auditioning for him. And uh, were you just blown?
0: Was your mind blown? Or oh was? yeah,
1: man! What Italian kid actor in New York, and for him, yeah, you know. so Scorsese. And then I didn't know. Re- and then they said De Niro's going to be in. Then uh, going to be in the scene with you. I was just like, Ooh. <laughs> you know, it's <that> crazy. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden you're from you know college, and then yeah. now you're playing on the Yankees or something. Was, you know, it's crazy. Was he a big influence on you, De Niro? Yeah, sure. How could he not? How be, could right? he not at that? Point in time, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the seventies and the early eighties. Yeah,
0: so all right, so they cast you, yeah, and then like
1: you got to do that thing. I had to do that scene. Oh, it was all pretty much all the dialogue was improvised. It was different every time, and except for the line where he tells the guy to go fuck himself. But all that other stuff was all improvised. So Scorsese said, "Get to go fuck yourself." Get basically there said all he said was, "So the first scene." I don't say that go fuck yourself in the second scene. The first scene right. he just said just bring uh bring him a, bring
0: Joe Pesci. Jimmy a drink. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy was oh, De Niro. Jimmy. Yeah,
1: yeah. But uh, but what the thing that he did that Scorsese did that was so cool was he said to me when I got there he was like um treat the actors as the character on and off yeah. set. And that made it kind of easy for me because I was so nervous, you know. Yeah. So I didn't have to relate. So what I did was I told the prop guy, "I said, let me um, take care of the table," which they did, and I set up the bar. Yeah. And then I went up to when De Niro came, sat down. I went, "Uh, what do you want to What do you want to drink, Jimmy?" Yeah. And he was like, <laughs> "Uh, shot of scotch and a glass of water." Yeah. At first he was kind of, and then <laughs> so I brought him the th- and this this was not the camera wasn't right right, right? yeah. So that kind of helped, you yeah. know, just to to kind of be that in he the played moment.
0: along with you after a beat. Yeah, meeting? oh, he loved it.
1: Because <laughs> yeah. he doesn't want to... He do, well, The last thing he wants is some young actor start to talk about Mean Streets or something to him. He just right. wants <laughs> to do his thing. Yeah, right. He doesn't want to... How did you start in the business, Bobby? You know, yeah. he doesn't want to hear that. So
0: you're like a year into acting. So what No, you- I, by then I was about five, six years. Oh, okay. So, I'd
1: studied. I'd gone on auditions and auditions for years and never got shit for years. I did a play right before that.
0: So where do you... How would you put together... Because it's a very significant... There are two scenes that are great, but you know, they, you put together a character.
1: Yeah, well, I started. We started rehearsing. See, the, the genius of Scorsese. We shot two days, one scene, one day. I mean, you have almost a whole day to do the whole scene. The first hours in the morning are spent just rehearsing. Yeah, improvising. Yeah. Right. So I, I started off, and I was a, a little more, uh, a little bit of a wise ass. And Scorsese said, "You know, maybe it's good if this guy is like a little slow, right? Like he's not just." So I was like, okay, so I started stuttering. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which made you know, gave Joe Pesci a lot to work with. Right. Right. And that's how that, that and just we it, just did it different every time. It just like stuttering stuck. Yeah, I guess, you know, slow. I was like, well, slow, am I going to be like duh, you, yeah, right, well, what right. do you want. Right. So I just I, I don't know, it was just an yeah. instinct. And did he, he like sort of
0: Scorsese was like that's it.
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, he just, you know, a good director, somebody like that, he just yeah. makes an atmosphere. Like what I was talking about before, about yeah. you want to create, you want a sense of privacy so yeah. you don't feel inhibited. Right. The worst thing you could have is some asshole yells at you. Yeah. Embarrasses you, makes you feel like scared to create. Right. And then you close up and you just do. Has that happened to you? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. There's a lot. Of, I mean, more m- more before. You became. Known. Anybody knew. Yeah. yeah when yeah, when yeah. you have a little bit of juice and the business people tend to treat you with a little more respect but when you're young they take liberties you know yeah
0: well i know you know you've done a, a ton of movies but like you know it's like um but the sopranos like i can't imagine like did you have any idea it was gonna go for as long? no
1: no 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 not at the beginning no did you, you
0: know. know james before
1: no i knew almost everybody else but not him did you i didn't even be- know his work no no there wasn't a lot there wasn't a ton he'd of it done, he'd done a lot of plays yeah Broadway yeah
0: did you become friends with him
1: oh yeah so right she, off the right yeah. off the bat oh I mean, yeah one of our first scenes I was driving him and I think it's the it's the pilot It's it's in the pilot and we chase some guy he's running down the sidewalk and we chase him with the car and stuff like that and now I didn't really know how to drive I didn't tell anybody that I had to back down the sidewalk yeah. with extras running around. <laughs> and I did it like five On the fifth take, I smashed the Lexus into the <laughs> yeah. tree. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh my God, they're going to fire me. You yeah. know, it's like my second day. Right. This guy's the star. He must think I'm an idiot. And he just looked and he said, You don't know how to drive. I <laughs> said, No, and he just started laughing. And uh, from then on, it was always, he, he was a good. Really good guy, yeah. Really good friend.
0: Yeah. That was so sad. That you know, oh, it's terrible. Ugh. It was just terrible. It was just, it, I, I, it was just shocking. And you know, people go and you're like, how? How does it? You know, you the, certain people are just like these forces in the world, and you're like, what? Now it's just gone. Yeah,
1: that was shocking. It right? Was really shocking. Yeah. yeah. So he very young, fifty-two. He was a young, young guy.
0: Yeah, I, I guess he wasn't that healthy.
1: Yeah, but you know, I know people who were less healthy who. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be honest, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people say, well, he didn't take care of his I said, you know what? Yeah, a-, a lot of people don't take care of themselves. It's a genetic roll of the dice. I don't know. You, you know, you who don't, knows? Who the fuck knows? I mean, man. I saw him two weeks before he died. He looked great. He looked happy. He looked chill. He was cool. Well, I'm glad that he was happy.
0: Yeah. So you how many you did how many seasons? Like, he s- did seven. I fucking... I, I don't know what it was like to be on that show, but like... The experience of like looking forward to that fucking show, you know, every
1: Sunday was yeah. great. Yeah, it was, it was. There was nothing like it. It's very exciting. There's nothing like it. For, for, for to be a part of it was very exciting in that respect.
0: Now to yeah. do the to do to play a junkie. You know, I mean, what oh. what were you what was your sense
1: memory on that? What were you leaning <laughs> on on that? I'll never tell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you make it whatever you want, you know, whatever you is going to get. you. now you're in you New know. York, we all try something. You
0: try yeah. you, know, you know, you know what you're doing. But yeah. uh but you know, that it was it was
1: a uh, it was an interesting character. Oh, it was a lot of fun to play because he, he, he went all over the place. Well, yeah, so he's a screenwriter, then he's a yeah. dope fiend. But he the- tried really hard, which yeah. I really liked about him. You know, everybody talks, uh, I got an idea for a movie, we should do this But he actually went and wrote, the, you know, he right. he really kind of... He he had a lot of uh, you know heart that way. I, I liked I admired it. that about.
0: Him. I liked that there was a sort of uh, there, there's a weird innocent sort of uh, striving to him. Yeah, and, but on the other side, he's just a
1: fucking killer. Yes, <laughs> and a nut, and a and a <laughs> yes. jerk, and a, all those things. But but the, it made it very very fun to play. That's great.
0: Do you look back? I mean, is it nothing but good feelings about that whole situation? Oh yeah. Even even if it, you know, for the rest of your life, if Christopher is going to be, you're going to be that guy.
1: Ah, what do you I don't have control over that. I mean, it, uh, uh, I mean, at least it's something that's I stand behind. You know what I mean? It's an amazing thing. Did you guys do like? Uh, I wasn't
0: there. I was wondering about like how like didn't they do all kinds of like uh, like other stuff like lunch boxes and shit? Did you guys? Did you guys get like? They did Part pinball machines. Yeah, pinball machines and <laughs>
1: um, not much of that. No, <laughs> no, I wasn't in my deal. It's wild. Not much of those things. Yeah. I wonder how my, uh, well, it
0: doesn't matter it doesn't matter so all right so you had a bar for how long
1: well my wife had a bar when i met her oh, okay so then i kind of worked with her there for a while and my brother worked there and my best friend worked there and was it, was, it was it how long it was really small oh, okay really small bar little lounge in chelsea yeah what was it called ciel rouge yeah how then long was we that We built for, a theater after that. How long <laughs> did you run the theater? We had the
0: theater for about seven years. That's a so. pretty good run. What was the plan? Did, it, did you crap out or
1: what? What happened was, well, it was enough not-for-profit, right? So right. it was all, uh, we did fundraisers and yeah. we did donations. But then in 2008, when the economy collapsed, we lost all our corporate funding. Oh. And it became impossible. So nah. That was the thing.
0: So you've done a lot of bit, a lot of big parts, small parts, all kinds
1: of movie parts. What was the What was the Cantin Floss movie? That was a Mexican film. Yeah. That came out this summer. And I played Mike Todd. Uh-huh. Mike Todd was a producer of Around the World in 80 Days. Uh-huh. Cantin Floss was the biggest star in the Spanish-speaking world, Mexico yeah. Yeah. and all over wherever they speak Spanish and he starred in that movie. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. They called me up and said, do you want to do it? And I said, yeah, I went to Mexico City and shot the movie. <laughs> it was great. How'd the movie do? I, it did, you know, when it opened, believe it or not. Because it wasn't meant for, for, it was it was a Latino film. Yeah, but this, you know, in America, there's lots of Latinos. No, no, I know that. So but the, I mean, like, it, I didn't know anything about it. The week it opened, it had the It was highest, all Spanish speaking, right? Not my stuff was all in right. English. It had a lot of English, but yeah. mostly Spanish. But the week it opened, it was the highest gross per screen. So it didn't. It only opened on like 300 screens, but those because all the yeah, he's very beloved even in yeah. the, in America. They sure. still watch his movies. You know?
0: Yeah, people of the how do you say floss? Is that Cantinflas is so Cantinflas?
1: So Cantinflas means barfly.
0: Yeah, he was uh, he was one of the great uh, Mexican clowns. Yeah. So what do you what do you got going now? I know you've done a lot of TV shows here and there, this and that, had some good parts in movies. I did a
1: pilot for Amazon called Mad Dogs that they're gonna Amazon airs their pilots and then decides whether they want to do it's a very different model. Then they decide whether they want to do it or not. It's um kind of like deliverance meets the hangover. Comedy, I'm guessing. Dark comedy. It's, yeah, it's a lot of dark it's, shit it's very you know? dark yeah and it's uh, Ben Chaplin Steve Zahn Billy Zane is in the pilot Uh well, that sounds exciting Romney Malco. yeah it was fun. and I saw
0: you when, what was that movie you played the cop in the, the one with the, the Peter Jackson movie oh the Lovely Bones yeah that was an
1: interesting movie yeah that was fun yeah that was really fun
0: what about directing a movie
1: and writing one again um, I'm writing something now that I hope I'll direct at some point, but, um, I'm working on a project, uh, as a writer right now, um, that it's not kind of finalized, so I can't really talk about right. it, but it's, it's adapting a, a really cool movie from the early nineties, a cool cult movie yeah. to a series. Yeah. Oh, But cool. I'll let you know when it's final. Is it
0: your idea to do it?
1: No, somebody post- approached me to work on it. Yeah, oh, the that's producer, great, man. And another writer. Yeah. So you're busy. I'm always busy. You know, I mean, I, I you know, I keep myself busy. Yeah.
0: Good man. It Was great talking to you. I appreciate. it. Thank you comment. for having
1: me. It was really, really fun. That was you great. never get to talk like this.
0: It was awesome. And uh, and best of luck with everything. And tell your kid uh, what can I give him? Let's get let's, let's send you home with something. Oh, thank you, man. That the, that he might enjoy. I wonder what I. Have. I'll, I'll find something. Nice right, talking bro. to you, man. Thanks. That's our show. Isn't great to hear from Michael? I love that guy. It's great to hear from that guy. Great to talk to him. What have I got here? Like I, I went and bought something. I was on Twitter, and um, you know I follow Sennheiser, the mic place. They had a mic like like they just had a, this guitar amp mic. Like a, it's just this little mic you put in your in front of your guitar amp. I think it's like a nine oh six or something. I'm like, I need one of those because, like, God knows I'm a professional musician out here in my garage. But, um, but it's just, a, it's specifically for this Co-op available at WTFpod.com. That is, um, it's a fairly tuned up Stratocaster. Um, in, in a just a old-style, very basic crybaby wah-wah paddle like I used to have when I was in high school but didn't really know how to use it. I don't think I know how to use it right now. <laughs> Boomer lives!